Hello, I'm Liz Jones. If you read my diary in the Mail on Sundays You magazine, then you'll know me and my life pretty well. But if you've always wanted to know more, this is the place for you. Welcome to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast. I'll be taking you behind the scenes of this week's column before digging back into the archives to find some of the most shocking and hilarious stories from the last 20 years. I'll be doing all this with the help of my assistant, friend and confidant, Nick. Hello. Go Duncan, go Duncan, go Lindell. Go Go Lindell. Go for it. I just am so chuffed that people, are, sisters are doing it for themselves and so's Duncan. I love Duncan. Oh, my God. I'd marry Duncan. Duncan. Like, literally, he's like the perfect man, isn't he? He's sensitive. He's handsome. He takes care of himself. He wears white trousers. Oh, and he wears white trousers so well. If anyone doesn't know what we're talking about and you've been living in a ditch somewhere on Mars married at first sight Australia <gasps> has reached a climax unlike like the women in the series so would I if I had my hands on Duncan and it was the reunion and the final dinner party the final dinner party but you couldn't watch it on E4 because they're so... St- I hate Channel 4. I hate Channel 4. I hate Channel 4. I hate Channel 4 because their really? website is useless. <laughs> they never have subtitles for deaf people. Do you know I've gone to battle with Curzon Cinema this week as well? Have you? I'll tell you about that. Right. Channel 4 never have subtitles and they didn't have the final dinner party and the reunion, we had to go on an illicit website, didn't we, well, we Nicola? we wasn't thoughted, was we? We wasn't. We, you, well, you found it, didn't you? I so found an found. illicit website where you could watch it. So we've watched the final two episodes. We have. Very exciting. Very exciting. And it was so... It wasn't just a male-female thing because we were so pro-Duncan, weren't we? Oh because God, he had so this pro-Duncan. wife, Alyssa... First rule of entering married at first sight Australia is you want to be married. And she took him home on the homestay to some god awful place in Australia. God, I hate Australia. I think it was Perth. 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 And she said, You can only come and see me every other Wednesday and every other weekend because I've got a child. Yeah. I've got a child. Well, sometimes Wednesdays, not, not, not all the I've time. I've got a child. If you've got a child and you only want to see Duncan, who looks like David Gandhi oh every other Wednesday and every other weekend. Here's a little clue, Alicia. Don't go on Married at First Sight. And actually... And I if think... that was me, I'd ditch the child and go with Duncan. Oh, my God, Duncan. Uh, Duncan's my new favourite. He's very burly, isn't he? Oh, he's but he's emotionally sensitive and, and always oh, just lovely. But I think the key for it was when she stood there screaming at him having a tantrum, I need attention, I need attention. And I thought, I just want to get a cricket bat and, like, bat you out of the room like a cricket ball. I just... But the thing about Duncan was he never reacted. He just said, I appreciate what you're feeling. I don't think we're right for each other. I think you're an amazing woman, but I need to walk away from this. And she's lying in the forest, beating her breast, upset, as if she didn't see it coming. Well, 
she's just awful. She, she just, and I don't really understand these people. Like you say, if you go on to Married at First Sight, it's because you're looking for a relationship. And there was another one, wasn't there? There was Cam. Now, Cam was not emotionally mature, sensitive, handsome and wonderful. Cam was a total twit. He had a man bun. It was awful. What is it this fashion with men? They shave the sides of their heads and they've got this little ponytail on top. And he was no, also arrogant. No, no, Vile. And Lyndall, much as I like Lyndall, because she has cystic fibrosis, she was her first relationship, she found some new drugs, she wanted to live her life. Very expert at the eyeliner. Very expert. Why would you want to cry over a man who has a knife in his four by four that he kills pigs with. I don't know. I literally don't know. And, and actually, not only was he repulsive on that level, but he was actually really, really mean to her. And I think we saw that a lot in this series. Yeah, they said, how long did it take to decide you didn't want to do final vows? Oh, what, half an hour? No, no and he was like, no, no time at all. It was instant. But he wasn't even attractive. It was awful. But we saw, didn't we? We just saw these awful characters. And it's kind of like, it was like watching a car crash. And, you know, you we've all been in relationships. Well, unless you're very lucky. We've all been in relationships where your girlfriend said, for God's sake, dump him. You know, he's awful. Or you've put up with stuff. And, you know, we saw Harrison was gaslighting Bronte. And we just had all these different relationships where you thought, run. Just run as fast as you can. Get away from that person. But this is like real life, isn't it? I mean, it is a social yeah. experiment. But this I think is real life. The thing about Married at First Sight is, Nick, even you know, it's entertaining. You get to see Australia, and there's like beautiful people on there, like Evelyn. I just, I just oh. love looking at her. But it just the overriding feeling at the end of all the episodes. It made me think. Thank God I'm not in a couple. Yeah. I have to say, considering Thank they're matched God. up by experts and you go on there to let the experts take control, find you the perfect partner, they're not doing too well, are they? There was two couples left but it just still together. But it, it kind of just made me think, thank God. Yeah. And it's like Duncan said, I've never been in a relationship when there's been so much conflict. I've got to the stage of my life, Nick, where I don't want conflict. No. And, no. you know, the best advice I've ever had from all my different years of therapy and therapists and self-help books and all that kind of stuff is you can't change people. And if the person isn't bringing something to your life, you just get rid of them. No. You you cannot Absolutely. change people. You can't make them love you. You can't moan and say, I want attention, I want attention. If they're not giving you what you want, get rid of them. And it kind of made me a bit angry today because there was this new report that came out of America, of course, and I'm going to quote it here, and it says, being lonely means you're 30% more likely to have a stroke or a heart attack High social stress is an even bigger risk factor for dying than a chronic disease, such as if you never exercise, if you drink too much or you smoke too much. So what can we do about it? Now, Dr. Chatterjee, who's Nick's friend. My friend, my mate, my mate. Do you want to go and work for him? I would, actually. I love him. 
I love him. I don't think he paid me enough. But I anyway, there was a piece in the Times where Dr. Chatterjee butted in, and I'm quite angry at the Times today. He suggests having at least one real life interaction every week with a friend, which he calls an absolute necessity for good health. And if you can't see your friend in real life, pick up the phone, write a letter or send a card. Make time for something more meaningful meaningful than a text. A study published in the Journal of Business and Psychology found that people who work from home, me, have higher levels of stress, I'm very stressed, due to social isolation. So, of course, the Times picked up this story and it had about three or four middle-class people banging on about how lonely they are and, oh, my son left the nest, but I could go and visit him in Manchester and I'm I'm a writer and they're making a TV series of my book and I went and moved to Glasgow and I've got a flatmate and I made a circle of friends and I go to this bar every day. You're not lonely! You're middle-class twats! Poverty is what makes people lonely. Poverty. And nowhere, this is the problem with newspapers, nowhere we just get the middle-class, chattering classes who've got no problems in their lives whatsoever. Loneliness is an 80-year-old who lives in a council flat with no outside space, no way to get down in the lift because she's too frightened. Poverty is what makes people lonely. Fear of being shown up. No nice home to invite people to. That's me. And somebody wrote in the Times, I had two grandmothers whose only social life was going to the shops with no money to spend. My mum never had friends. She just did the housework. She did the washing after we'd gone to bed. She ironed the sheets after we'd gone to the bed. She walked, if she could, to the shop to buy food. She didn't go to the pub. She didn't go to cafe. She didn't go and visit someone at university. And I just think the trouble with these middle-class newspapers, with these middle-class commentators, one of the women who wrote on one of the pieces has got a bloody husband. Go and talk to your husband. You're not lonely. And my feeling is do not demonise those of us who live on our own. My problems have come purely with other people preying on me and attacking me and taking advantage of my generosity. That is why I'm on my own, because people prey on me and they take advantage of me and they take money from me and all people want from me is my fame, my glitter, my Miranda Preakness sparkle, and they don't give anything back. So my advice to you is if you're on your own, Just get rid of anyone in your life who brings negativity and learn to cultivate your own inner space, your own inner intellect. And one of the women in the time said, oh, well, I had cats, but they didn't speak to me. I'm not lonely because I've got border collies. You're never lonely with a border collie. There's a big difference, isn't there, between being lonely and alone you can be alone and you can appreciate your own time you can appreciate your space you can fill that time with things that really feed you and nurture you people just get on my nerves they're just leeches they're just bloodsuckers and they just get on my nerves and they're not interesting and they're not funny and they're just boring and they don't bring anything to my life and I always have to tr- to sort of pander to them and big them up. I'm not doing it anymore. I'd rather be on my own than be in a relationship with someone like Alyssa. Yeah, yeah. Oh, give oh, me attention, yeah. give me attention. Oh, I've got a child, I've got a child. 
Well, the thing is as well, it's, it, it's actually quite lonely being in a relationship that drains you and being in a relationship where you're not treated very well or you're ignored or you're devalued or no. you're pressurised. Like no, when I was married, I used to work on the evening standard. I'd get there at 5.30 in the morning. I probably wouldn't get home till 8, 9 o'clock at night. I'd still be taking phone calls. My, I would get home. My husband had turned all the lights yeah. off. Yeah, that that is lonely. I've certainly been in a relationship where I've just not felt considered, not felt valued, not been supported, not been looked. You know, if I've been having trouble, I've not been looked after. You know, I've not been had a cup of tea made for me when I'm upset or tired or ill, and that was really lonely. Yeah, you're better off on your own. That's really so. Lonely. I really think the Times today should have had a piece by me saying actually off other people you're just leeches yeah. and i'm better off on my own and it's about having your own dignity and your own space yeah and that, i mean that's certainly not the point for me i mean I've, i'm wondering why i've put up with it because i don't you get a column out of it i don't really get anything out of it and it's kind of like is there some part of me although i'm very independent although i'm i'm you know quite happy with i don't time. understand that about you nick because i have to tell you everyone she takes no shit from anyone. Why do you put up with people that are not good enough for you? I don't know. I honestly don't know. And I suppose there must be something in me that I think maybe I won't meet somebody else or that I... You are like a Bronte. Maybe. Maybe. Although not nearly as attractive, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> See, I found it quite upsetting watching my own at first start. Not about the relationship so much because I'm sort of too old and cantankerous to put up with anything, really. It's about the homestays. And I'm so grieving for my own old life. It really upset me, actually. And they take someone home, and you are judged by where you live, yeah, aren't you, you are. and what car you drive, and this is your home. And there was a point where, you know, I took Nurple home and I had a beautiful London townhouse and the BMW and a wardrobe of amazing clothes and everything. But now, I couldn't bring a man home now. No. Because I just look like a failure. Yeah. And that's very upsetting to me because I've worked for 43 years at the high end of a, a very competitive profession and I'm no more than trailer trash. Well, that's how you sit because you've been in... No, but that's true. ...a position where you... No, it's not true because you've actually you've been in a position where you... You had a very affluent lifestyle, beautiful clothes, beautiful holidays, beautiful this, beautiful that, and was very successful. And you're you're now in a situation that you wouldn't choose to be. But when you look at your journey and how hard you've worked through that, how you've worked so diligently to rebuild everything, to get through everything, you know, I mean, you've not just rolled over and said, I had these awful things happen to me, I was taken advantage, I was bankrupt. You've not said, okay, so I'm just not going to bother. You've worked and you've worked and you've worked. But it's not got me anywhere. I couldn't bring a new man home now because I'm too ashamed. I would be like married at first sight, the woman taking him home when she's living in a chicken shed, driving something with flat tyres. And I think maybe if it was the right man, look at Tani. She took her, her husband home and she lives in like one room. She's got a bed. In one bit, she's got a chair. In yeah, but bit. she's not sixty-four. She's not, but also he didn't care. 
he had a really nice home where he was. He didn't care about her tiny little husband. No, but the thing is, Nick, I care. You care. No, you do. You do. But I don't think you should put down how hard you've worked and how you've battled through a really difficult situation. And you may not currently be where you want to be in terms of what house you've got or what car you drive. It hasn't got me anywhere. You've got a roof over your head, your animal's safe, and you've got your self-respect because you have you have done this yourself. Whatever you've done, you've worked your way out of it yourself. Yeah, it's, it's like sometimes I wake up at three in the morning and I think, how did this happen to me? Yeah. How did it happen to me? <laughs> you feel that way because you're judging yourself with your material stuff. But when you look at your actual career and how respected you are and the work you've done, I just um, feel completely at the end of my tether. I really do. You will get through this. I won't. You will get through this. I have been struggling since 2006, 2007. Yeah. Yeah. I have not taken one day off. There's a lot going on at the minute and it's all come to a huge, awful, shitty crescendo. There's a lot going this, on that I haven't been able to yeah, write about due is. to legal readings. But trust me, I will write about it. Well, I've got a way around this. You don't need a husband. You don't need a wife. You don't need any of that. Do you know what you need? You need to order something from Amazon and have a delivery driver. That's what you need. I got an email yesterday from a PR and they were talking about a social experiment that was led by Generation Logistics, a company who fitted people in the UK with a heart monitor. And it was found... Did they fit you with a heart they monitor? They didn't, but it would have been pa-pum, pa-pum, because I do love my Amazon deliveries. But they found when you get a delivery driver, there is, for most people, a 46% increase in your heart rate compared to 22% when your other half, when your partner walks into the room. So you're... Twice as pleased to see a delivery driver than you are your your partner. So don't worry about a boyfriend. Don't worry about a wife. Don't worry about a partner. Get a dog and get a delivery. Do you want to read this week's column? Let's do it. No, but you read it. Me read it. Because I'm too upset. Me read it. Okay. Okay. But do it in my voice and my character. Oh, dear God. No, you read it. No. No, I'm under too much pressure now. I've got to get my money out of you. <laughs> okay. So this week we have In Which I Ponder a Sunshine Break. Sounds... This is a virtual break. This is a virtual break in the virtual basket for the virtual checkout. I've gone completely and utterly insane. This isn't news, is it? I was going to say, what do you mean gone? I'm not... Gone, okay. Oh, dear God. Prepare yourselves, listeners. Prepare yourself. I text David. One. One. 1.0. Do you want to go to Sicily for a week? All expenses paid, Liz X. You're me now. Go on. What the fuck are you thinking? Thank you. Now, I know what you're all thinking. She can't afford to go on holiday. 
No, that's not what they're thinking. They it's are. Not, they are thinking that. No, 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 they're thinking David 1.0. No, they're thinking she can't afford to go on holiday. No, David 1.0. Who am I? The cat's mother, swiftly followed by precisely which David has she texted? Mark 1 or Mark 2? There is no Mark. Life is complicated enough. Yeah, I we see shouldn't have said it was there. David 1. You say you've given the game away. They knew anyway. They knew anyway. Last week you were saying the man played badminton and that he was too normal. It wasn't it wasn't a, it wasn't a problem. I've not normal. given anything away. It's fine. I've been invited by a friend who lives out there for half the year. It will be a big gang, so I doubt I'll have to talk to whichever David is. Yeah, if I go on holiday with a man, I don't want to talk to them. What's the point then? I want to read my book. What's the point then though? If it's not expensive... Well, they carry your suitcase, don't they? Probably not in this case. No. So it will be flights, food, and remember, I don't eat much. Oh, and a new wardrobe since it's been so long since I've been somewhere hot. I can't remember what you need. I love this. I'm going to base myself on Amanda Holden. I love Amanda Holden. I love Holden. Amanda. I love, I love Amanda. Amanda. She's so positive, isn't she? And you need a holiday body. <laughs> How are you going to get that? You're going to I'm going to rent one. You're going I'm to going rent, rent one. one. Perhaps my wardrobe HQ rents those out as well. At least it's only a week. And on day eight, I begin to go off and I sprout. I'm like a seed potato. That's funny, isn't it? It's very funny. <laughs> you know how women's magazines always dust off the same features every year, headed how the fashion editors pack a suitcase and your capsule holiday wardrobe? And how to turn your economy seat into a spa. You cannot turn your economy seat into a spa, no matter what the Telegraph tells you. It's complete nonsense. How do you? I mean, what? But it's stupid. Put an eye mask on. and Who puts face cream on when you're sitting in a seat eating nuts? I suppose if you're in first class or business class, you're No, but you're not. You're in economy. No, you're not. No, no. But that'd be nice if you were. It's all nonsense. It's as bad as a cover story I wrote in the early 80s entitled Knit Your Own Christmas Pudding. I wrote that cover story, Knit Your Own Christmas Pudding. Do you know there were some things you shouldn't admit? Who would knit a Christmas pudding? But there are some things that you really need to leave buried. (laughs) You do. So no, 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 no. The reality of a holiday with a man is as follows. Number one. It's a list. It's a list. We've got a list. He leaves you to make a note of where you park the car at the airport. No, you do those things on the app. You bastard. Number two, he wanders off just as your flight is announced. That'll be the bladder, won't it? He always wanders off to get a coffee. I'm going to go and get a sugary latte. (laughs) Number three, he reveals his tummy to everyone on the plane, including the pilot, when he shoves your Louis Vuitton holder in the overhead locker. Don't show... Other passengers, your tummy. But at least he's being useful. He's putting the damn thing up there. Do you know what I mean? Like, useful, useful, point point in favour. Number four, when you arrive at the hotel, you discover that you are not in the ancient main building that was once a monastery, but are in a breeze block modern annex. Oh, that's not going to go down well. This happened to me at Villa San Michele in Florence. And no, it's not Villa Japan. San Michele. It was in Italy. It's Villa San Michele. Is it Michele? Michele. Right, okay. And the Hotel Ducat Eden Rock near Cairns? Yes. 
Okay, not quite the Premier Inn then, is it? I once saw Angelina Jolie going up and down in the lift. <laughs> On her own, just up there. Where was Brad? <laughs> I think he was there as well. They had this sort of little house in the compound. So you saw Angelina Jolie going up and down in the lift. How was she even visible if Brad Pitt was in there? Because the lift at the Hotel Eden Rock Saint-Tropez is transparent. No, but I'm sorry. If I had Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie in front of me, she would just cease to exist and I'd be focused on Brad. Do you know what I mean, though? Do you know what I mean? Number five, we're not done yet, listeners. When you unpack, having done as you've been told and layered your capsule wardrobe with tissue paper, you do that? Your face cream has leaked everywhere. You now have dark stains on everything and will age prematurely. Number six, he wants to watch football in a darkened room. Who goes on holiday and stays in a posh hotel and watches football? Anyone associated with me? No. Seven, he emerges from the sea dripping cold water on you. Why do they come out of the sea and stand over you and drip cold droplets on you? It's not exactly Mark Darcy, is it, emerging from the lake? Eight, you can never get hold of him in a suit because he has turned off roaming to save money. Yeah, so you're in Marrakesh, you can't find him, you want to page him. He turned his phone off because he's turned roaming off. Oh dear, oh dear. Well, what if you got lost? You want to be like, you got someone. Nine, he's all for wash bag when you snuffle around having a look. It's full of terrible things such as chalky indigestion tablets and a manual toothbrush. A manual toothbrush and indigestion tablets are in my high-end hotel room. No. You're kind of painting this as the ultimate romantic break, aren't you? No, but this is the reality of going on holiday, everyone. Cancel. Cancel. Ten. I know in Sicily he will complain that the espresso isn't hot enough. In Italy, no one drinks espresso boiling hot. It's supposed to be downed in one, not sipped granny fashion. Yeah, no, no. It's not It's not going to go well, is it? No. It's not going to go well. And don't even get her started on people who take small children on holiday. Don't take small children don't on holiday. Small children don't know where they are, so just leave them at home. I don't understand why you wouldn't take the opportunity to leave them with they the, don't know where they are or something. I just or in a in a play school or something. I don't I don't understand it. The Tots Portini pink suitcases on wheels that snag my ankles that's quite cute though isn't it when no they snag my ankles it's quite cute they won't eat the food and they scream when a poor parent tries to put them in the pool which they promptly wee in you had to go there didn't you you had to go there oh dear god my phone is jumping up and down i got a text love island bottoms and under boob cleavage there will be none oh god false alarm just good news your pissy duvet is ready for collection. <laughs> That's probably better than it could have been. I have to wait two days to get a reply. Does he say, yes, that's a lovely idea, or no, that's as flat as my ass? And precisely which David is it? Or we'll be revealed. Well, we revealed one of them, didn't we? We won't reveal my bottom, though. We won't reveal your bottom. <laughs> Literally, you made me read this because you knew it would traumatise me. I went through it. It traumatises me. <laughs> but it's not fair to do it to me. Do you want to do your moans? Have a good moan. Go on, it'll make you feel better. Do you want me to read them? Yeah, because that'll make you feel better, having a moan. Why? Why? 
why does the white company put buttons on its duvet covers? They always come off in the wash and ruin my Miele washing machine. They do. Why? Why do they not just tuck in like a pillow? You tell someone you're deaf and they carry on talking. Or be it louder in your face. No, they don't. They just carry on. You say, oh. I'm sorry, I can't hear you. And they just carry on talking. And the final one. <laughs> the final moan, Harrison on Married at First Sight Australia, which continues our theme. Now it's going to be in the English dictionary. You're doing a Harrison. You're doing a Harrison. It's going to be in the dictionary. You're doing a Harrison. I liked that, actually. I, do you know, it's a shame because he was crumpy until he opened his mouth. He wasn't crumpy. No, I wouldn't kick he him out as long crumpy. as he didn't speak. No, his skin was horrible. He was king of the gaslighting, though, wasn't he? You can read this week's diary in full Man on Sunday's You magazine. And what are we doing on Saturday? It's the coronation. It's the coronation. We actually put a poll on no, Twitter, a flash poll. we didn't. Nicola did. I did, because I thought, let's delve into how people are really feeling about this. So, poll on Twitter, a couple of hours before the podcast. It was 100%. It was 100% that people were up for the coronation. It was living history and it was wonderful. How are you feeling? Well, I read today in the Telegraph... That the person designing Camilla's outfit is Bruce Oldfield. Your friend, your mate. Mine's Chatterjee, yours is Bruce. Bruce was a little bit rude to me. Was he? Yes. Did he, he survived? <laughs> well, he survived long <laughs> enough to make Camilla her new dress. Oh. So you interviewed Bruce Oldfield, I interviewed didn't you? Bruce. I went to his atelier uh-huh. on... Beach and Place, which is just around the corner from Harrods. You know, Harrods is my spiritual home. I do. They all know me in Harrods. You love a bit of Harrods. I go to Harrods, they say, hello, Liz. <laughs> it's like when Dustin Hoffman goes to the hotel that he's been having an affair with Mrs. Robinson with. They all say hello to him and Catherine Ross can't understand it. That's me in Harrods. It's not me in the co-op. Hello, Nick. <laughs> so I went to Beach and Place. In 2014, to interview Bruce Oldfield, who is dressing the future queen. It's very exciting, isn't it? So this is my archive from 2014. I'm in Bruce Oldfield's immaculate atelier on Beach and Place, just around the corner from Harrods, you see? Your spiritual home. There are a couple of customers, clients... Bruce Oldfield tells me. They're not customers, they're clients. Once you spend above a certain amount of money, you're not a customer, Ah, you're a client. Browsing. One has a dog. Bruce Oldfield loves dogs. He's got two. Babe, a Rhodesian Ridgeback, and Baz, a Border Terrier. Babe is really at the end, he tells me. She's 14. It's heartbreaking. Dear. One of his clients, he says, is a banker. She buys a lot. She likes to wear couture in the boardroom. She told me, it's nearly all men and it's really boring. I go in there with a pink tweed suit on, take the jacket off, and I've got something saucy on underneath. I sort of love that. (laughs) I do, I love it. The second client is wearing an almost floor-length fur coat, sweatpants and trainers. Despite the shabby chic apparel, it turns out she is Lady Getty, widow of Sir Paul. 
Bruce, in his habitual black cashmere v-neck and scarf, makes a shape with his hands. Not an hourglass, but two straight lines. She's very tall, straight up and down, he stage whispers. Everything you put on her, just fabulous. Yeah, the fur coat's not so damn fabulous. But of course, Bruce Oldfield, our most famous and nearly only couturier, i.e. everything is made to measure, not off the peg, makes women who are resolutely not straight up and down look fabulous too. Bruce says, there are pundits who say male designers know nothing about women. I think he was talking about me there. Would he like to take his chances with making me look fabulous? And it's only women designers who really understand how a woman feels and how a woman wants to look. Bollocks, he says. I think he's referring to the fact I've written that gay male designers only want to dress women who look like adolescent boys. He continues, a male designer can be objective. When I was studying fashion, I was taught to flatter women. That is what moved me. And in fact, it still does. I get women who come in here, put on something and they just go, ah, I don't put on something now. I just go, what's the price? I was going to say, is it, are you sure it's not? Ah! Does Bruce love women? He came out as gay, but had affairs in the past with women, including Bianca Jagger. His eyes twinkle. Now, Bianca Jagger is not tall. She's five foot two. I always made her look so much taller than she was. We're now on the top floor of his atelier across the road. His collections of bridal wear are all made here in London by hand. Only the lace and embroidery are done abroad. Bruce keeps phoning the man opposite on the balcony of his shop, directing him how to place the potted shrubs just so. He's a stickler. He's like me, isn't he? It is definitely like you. You do that. I have 24 people who work for me, he says. I would like to think I'm fairly exacting, but, you know, people work for me for a long time, so they get to know what I want, and they usually give me what I want. Maria here has been with me for 31 years. Sophie's been here for 18 years. Her husband, 21 years. They met here and married. Isn't that sweet? It's quite sweet, actually. It's quite family-like. I like that. Before us is a gallery of press from his 40 years in the business. He now has a salt and pepper beard and a few extra pounds, but is otherwise as handsome as the photos before me. The women in the tear sheets from Vogue and from yellowing broadsheets are some of the most beautiful who have ever lived. Marissa Berenson... Charlotte Rampling, Angelica Houston, who's wearing Bruce Oldfield on the cover of Vogue in 1974. The magazine costs 35p, and she's in the arms of a very young-looking Milano Blahnik. He has also on his pinboard models Sloane Condren, Grace Coddington, Mary Helvin. Now, you know I'm best friends with Mary Helvin. Well, actually, you're a doppelganger, aren't you? Let's not forget this photo shoot you did with her in swimsuit. Yes, in the bikini, yeah, but the I was bikini. airbrushed. She yes. wasn't. Sloane Condren. I don't think we've spoken about Sloane, have we, on here? No, we've definitely Sloane not. Condren was photographed by Bruce Weber in Vogue, and she was very famous for not wearing makeup, a very naked face. And she was sort of, it was called the prairie look, prairie fashion. She had lots of white lace in a prairie. And she had lots of bits of cotton tied in her hair. And there was a period in the 80s where I just tied cotton in my hair to be like Sloane Condren. Okay. Do we have photos? I love Sloane Condren. Do we have evidence for this? So I'm very, very, very much in love with Mary Helvin. 
And you know, recently she was in the mail talking about her breast cancer. Yeah, yeah. Ah, oh, Marie, Bruce says, examining a photograph of her. Wonderful body, long legs, good boobies, everything was in the right place. Good to know. That's always a start to it, isn't it? It is, isn't it? Yeah. Praise be. You know, I think it was Vogue slathering her in baby or making her very tanned in the sunshine tanned gave her cancer mm. but I won't say that here I've just done it <laughs> was Bruce not McQueen and Galliano star offered a post at a French couture house and if not why not no he says I was only ever offered Norman Hartnell now Norman Hartnell dressed the Queen for her coronation you see, we're newsy, we're topical, serendipity. All in there. He said no. Anyway, Bruce continues, I have manners, but I own my business 100%. I live all right. I'm not complaining. Somebody comes in, they order 10 dresses, which they do, and I have to increase my staff, increase my pattern cutters, buy the fabric, pay for the embroiderers, but I'd love it. Does Bruce feel sorry for John Galliano, who was fired from Dior after drunken anti-Semitic remarks? He was pissed out of his skull, that's all it was. Bruce Alford tells me that his favourite designer of all time is Yves Saint Laurent. I think that Saint Laurent was probably the master of enhancing the feminine form. I mean, okay, it was sometimes a bit androgynous, but I do think he knew about femininity. He liked women, whereas there are others who quite clearly don't. I mentioned the recent documentary about Saint Laurent, which showed auctioneers... Oh, God, this documentary is amazing. It's called La Morfou. Anyway, the auctioneers, with their white gloves on, dismantled the exquisite Paris apartment he lived with after he died, collecting the patient, the collecting the paintings for auction. I certainly don't own any Picassos, Bruce says. I've never made any bloody money. The only designers in this country who have a lot of people like Paul Smith. Paul Smith always barred me from his fashion shows. Another one? Yeah. What does Bruce think of the current crop of models such as Cara Delevingne? We're not going into this silly model thing, are we? He says, thinking I'm going to say that in the 1970s the models were statuesque, not cadaverous. I've known Cara since she was tiny. It's a shame they build them up and then they... Mind you, oh, what's her name? She's lasted a long time, hasn't she? I think he means Kate Moss, (laughs) who will forever now be known as what's her name. What's her name, yeah. These models on my wall here were standouts. It's a shame because they didn't transfer to advertising. Jerry Hall had a string of wealthy husbands, so she was fine. It's Marie I'm worried about. You see, I'm worried about Marie. You know, when I last interviewed her, she told me she didn't eat any white food and she was renting and she had to move and she had a cat. But she should be rolling in money. And I think that's part of it is the racism not just her bad divorce from David Bailey when she didn't get any money. It's the racism as an Orient, as a Eastern Asian woman, Japanese part Hawaiian, she didn't get the jobs that Jerry Hall got. No. And yet she's got such a name. Everyone knows who Umari Helvin is. Everybody. Everyone knows how beautiful she is. It, it's awful. It's not fair. But I'm so worried about her, and yeah. she did a piece about her breast cancer, and I'm just worried about her cat. 
Anyway, Bruce's childhood as a Bernardo's boy has been well told. He was born out of wedlock in 1950 to a white Irish mother and a black Jamaican father who was a boxer. Bruce Oldfield was a sickly baby, hospitalised for the first six months at Great Ormond Street with gastroenteritis. He sounds a bit like you. I was going to say, we are as one. My doppelganger. He was taken away from his mother at birth and never met his parents. Isn't that amazing from that? He's now dressing the new queen. It's just yeah. incredible. No, it is amazing. When he was released from hospital, he was fostered by a woman called Violet Masters in County Durham, near here. I was going to say, say neighbour. She was a seamstress, and he credits her for instilling him a love of clothes. He would make outfits for his Cindy doll. I had a Cindy doll. She was always in jobbers. I had an action man. Belonging to his sister, also fostered. Aged 11, he became uncontrollable, was placed in a Bernardo's home. He was very bright, passed his 11 plus, went to grammar school in Ripon, eventually becoming a teacher in Sheffield. But his love of fashion would not go away. He gave up teaching to study at St. Martin's. Did he encounter racism in the business? He shows me another magazine cutting, a black model wearing Bruce Oldfield for a Virginia Slim cigarette ad. At the bottom is the line, for black publications only. Wow. Wow. Bruce's fame took off when he started dressing Princess Diana. Winning her off her uniform of Sloan Classics and Laura Ashley Smocks. They first met in 1980 when she asked him to make her something to wear to switch on the Oxford Street Christmas lights. He dressed her many, many times, and I wonder how she took the scrutiny over what she wore. I think with Diana, there was too much comment, he says, and there was too much negative comment. I've got a huge archive upstairs, the hits, the misses, the none out of ten, the two out of ten. You think, oh, fuck off. It was just so unnecessary. You have to be really thick-skinned for it not to affect you in some degree. But Bruce made Diana so much more beautiful. Well, I helped, he says modestly. I pushed him in a direction towards this more glamorous, more international look, away from that English big collars thing. Then Catherine Walker certainly carried that forward. Diana abandoned Bruce in 1990 without any explanation. It was huge news at the time, and, you know, it's always ever so slightly irritating when people suggest that nothing had happened in my life before Diana, but, of course, a lot had. I left St. Martin's, I started working for her, I was on the cover of Vogue, I had my show in New York. He shows me a handwritten invitation on Friday, November the 9th, 1973. This was a dress I was made that was being sold by Browns in 1973, I missed my case. So it was a big deal even before he met Diana. He adds that he was living the life. This photo is me, he says, and Charlotte Rampling in 1975 in a house in the south of France. Does he still see Charlotte Rampling? From time to time, she's a chum. He points to a photo of him, Jerry Hall and Tina Chow parting at Studio 54. He's keen to point out that his life was not all about Diana. There's now another photo of him with Mrs Thatcher. Did I dress her? A postcard from Cynthia Payne, the notorious madam. To Bruce, have fun if you can in this country. (laughs) 
Bruce now dresses Diana's successor, the Duchess of Cornwall, who is going to be dressing this weekend. The old field dress she wore for last year's tour of Sri Lanka, a long, narrow, pearl turquoise gown with a lace top, was a knockout. What is she like? Is she really tiny in the flesh? I think she's fabulous, he says. But is she tiny? No, no, she's about five foot six. She's slightly above average, actually. When a fashion designer says someone's slightly above average, they mean she's a hippo. She's not Mary (laughs) Helfin. Has he had to persuade her into a more glam style? You have to coax people, he says. It's a question of nurturing and trying new things. Does he fit Camilla here at the palace? We go to the palace. Well, he's in there, isn't he, now for the coronation. So come on, Bruce. From being abandoned, fostered in St Bernardo's to being a part of the coronation, wow. That just shows this country is amazing, amazing. It does, actually, because we get a bad rap, don't we? We really do. And we do a lot of things really well. And it just shows there is diversity before Edward and Phil and Meghan There is inclusivity. It doesn't matter he's working class and he came from nothing. And it was just quite a revelation meeting Bruce. But he was quite rude to me. Do you know what he said when I turned up? And I said, can you dress me for my wedding? Because I was engaged to David. Do you know what he said? (laughs) What? He said, I dress lots of mothers of the bride. (gasps) I'm not the mother of the bride! Every week, lots of you get in touch, telling me what you think about my life and my decisions. So I think it's only fair that you get to have your say here on the podcast too. If you'd like to get in touch, then go to lizjonesgoddess.com or tweet me at lizjonesgoddess. Yes. Okay, we've got Pauline. She says, I want to read your unpublished book. Can you self-publish it? I'm rereading Liz Jones' diary and it's witty and interesting. She wants you to self-publish. Because you were moaning the other, like, talking about the other day about you, you hadn't got your bu- um, book published. Well, it will make her hair stand on there, won't it? I was going to say... Pauline, are you ready for this? Because believe me, I'm pretty broad-minded and I have had an education and I'm scarred. I'm scarred. We've also got Katrina who says, Hi Liz and Nick, tell me a secret. Not something that's been in the column, but something special that just the podcast listeners will get to know. Loving you girls, Katrina from Epsom. So what secrets have you got left? Um... Have we got any secrets? (laughs) Is there anything? Well, there's a couple of things I haven't written about yet because I'm not allowed to. But you will get to to hear about them, Katrina. So we need a special podcast. That's like a subtle threat, isn't it? It is. It's a subtle hint, yes. Nicola? It is. I think I'm pretty much an open book. I don't got really any secrets. I've got two teeth missing because my horse... Swung his head round when a jogger frightened him and cracked my teeth. Then I had crowns in and my puppy jumped on my lap and smacked me in the face, knocking the last two teeth out. 
So I've now got two teeth missing because of my horse and my dog. I'm reminded of Cliff Craven on Frasier, who would tell you the most boring facts in the entire world. You asked, I delivered. What do you want? Well, that's it from us this week. If you enjoyed listening to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast, why not visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. I'll be back next Sunday. But for now, I'm Liz Jones. And I'm Nick. Goodbye. Goodbye.